From the Bill Moyers Archive, Faith and Reason, filmed at World Pen Voices Festival in 2006. Now adapted for audio. Greek tragedies dealt with these human themes, I feel, that we're still struggling with. But how do I make that bridge over in today's society so that someone like myself or someone younger will be able to connect with it? Will Power talks about Oedipus and hip-hop, God and inspiration. That's in this episode of Faith and Reason. I'm Bill Moyers. Welcome once again. In the audience at the Festival of Writers, I noticed a young American actor, composer, playwright, and rapper whose talents are said to be helping transform modern theater. He won three big awards, including Best Musical, for his off-Broadway play that is based on ancient Greek myth. It's the continuing saga of the sons of Oedipus, as told by the great dramatist Aeschylus in Seven Against Thieves. Here's Will Power with his troupe in rehearsal for the award ceremony. Tycles and Polynices, the sons of Oedipus, and they were ashamed of their daddy. Man, daddy was tripping, man. Tripping. All he had to do was not kill his own father. All he had to do was not G his own mother, and, and everything, everything would have been, been cool. cool. Power grew up in humble circumstances, the son of activist parents in San Francisco's famous Fillmore District. Once upon a time, the Fillmore was known as the Harlem of the West, a cultural and musical frontier noted for jazz greats, rhythm and blues, the beat, zen, the Black Panthers, and the Grateful Dead. Will Power came east with the sounds of the Fillmore in his soul, determined to tell the story of Oedipus so his old neighborhood would dig it. I am Oedipus, and everybody want to look at me. They go to blind door, triple freak. Oedipus, you'll remember, was the king of Thebes found guilty of murder and incest, forced to abdicate and leave his kingdom to his two sons, only to watch them become rivals and kill each other. Ha! My daddy was cursed, and I was cursed, but I won't be the last, because I wasn't the first. Ha! I won't put it on you. Put the hoodoo right on you. What in the world possessed you to take a 3,000-year-old <laughs> Greek play and turn it into a racy modern riff? Well, there's a few things. I mean, one, in hip-hop, in hip-hop culture, one of the things about hip-hop is how do you take something old and what we call flipping it? How do you flip it? Flipping and means you flipping. turn it. Flipping means you turn it into something that's relevant and powerful for today. And a lot of people outside hip-hop culture don't realize this, but a lot of hip-hop is based on flipping it. So you might take an old record, you might take a Barry White record or a Stevie Wonder record, or I might take some of Bill Moyer's voice. <laughs> you would and, really and, have to and, flip and, that. And I might, well, you know, people have done it. You take it and you might reverse it, play it slower, chop it up, add your own bass line, and you create something new. And so really what hip-hop is, is paying homage to elders, paying homage to ancestors. It's having a conversation with music and cultural styles that have come before and updating them. That's a lot of what hip-hop is. So for me, how do I take something that's an old story and that's still relevant today because, you know, a lot of these Greek tragedies dealt with these human themes, I feel, that we're still struggling with. But how do I make that bridge over in today's society so that someone like myself or someone younger will be able to connect with it? You performed an extreme makeover on Aeschylus' play. I mean, we come from this stately cadence of ancient Greek to doo-wop and 
blues and yeah, rhythm yeah, yeah. and rap. I mean, yeah. That was not just barring here and there. You really made it over. I made it over, but I did try to stick to the original themes, and I just tried to imagine if these characters, these heroic and tragic figures were alive today, what would they look like? And who would Oedipus be in my community? Who would he be? Well, that's what I'm saying. Oedipus, in the original thing, he's this bitter guy. He feels like he's been done wrong. He used to be of a high stature. He had a fall from grace. So for me, that would be someone who's kind of like an old hustler from the 70s, you know, who used to be kind of hip, but now is kind of old school. In my community, a lot of the old hustlers from the 70s that used to be what we call high rolling are now kind of of lower stature. They weren't able to make that transition. So that's what Oedipus was to me. There's a character by the name of Eteocles, and he's a warrior. And in the original, he's described as one of the seven warriors that rides a horse. You know, he's like really into horses. He has tons of horses. And so I was like, well, what would that be in my world? And I'm from California. So for me, that warrior would be a policeman on a horse. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's what that would be. So as different as these characters ended up being in my version, I'd like to think that I tried to stick to the original in terms of the vibration of it. Instead of the Greek chorus, you have a disc jockey. Yeah, I have a DJ. In contemporary hip hop culture, a lot of times the DJ is a storyteller. When you go to a party, if you go to a hip-hop club, depending on what kind of records the DJ plays, they're telling you a certain story or a certain series of stories that have a connection. And a DJ is the one that can, like I said, take a record from the 1950s, for example, or the 1970s, take a Stevie Wonder record, and take the hip-hop record that sampled from the Stevie Wonder record and play them both together and mix them. So it makes sense that the DJ can take this ancient old text and mix it with contemporary text. And I kind of approached it that way. Like I actually took some of the ancient text yeah. and put it, like you said, with the record's voice and put it into the modern text. What appealed to you about this particular play? Well, I think for me, there's a number of things. It's the question of, do we as individuals, do we as a community, and do we as a nation really, and as a world, do we have the power to make changes? Do we have the power to rule our own destiny? Or are we destined to make the same mistakes as our foremothers and our forefathers? And I know that question is posed in the original Seven Against Thieves by Aeschylus. And that question is really personal to me. I've had a lot of drama in my family with my fathers. There was a lot of drug abuse, a lot of violence, a lot of drama in my family, in the community. So the question was, am I destined to make those same mistakes or can I reimagine myself? And I think those are the same questions that Oedipus's sons were asking. Are we destined to fulfill this curse that our father put on us? This curse, this weight, this pain, or can we break it? The two characters, the sons of Oedipus, that are kind of like the central characters here, they're constantly wrestling back and forth. And initially they're like, God is on our side, which everyone is always saying now. Bush is like, God's on our side, you know, and Al-Qaeda is like, God's on our side. Everyone says God's on their side. And so the brother's like, God's on our side. And then they're like, well, maybe God's not on our side. Well, God's on my side. He's not on my brother's side, you know? So I feel like, again, I don't have any answers. I know what I believe personally, but I feel like that issue of fate, of what does God want me to do, is something that has always been, I think, very, very prominent in our psyche as human beings. And will continue to be because we're always wondering about that. Who is God? What is God? What am I supposed to do? Is this right? Is this wrong? How do you experience God? I experience God in my meditation. I experience God with my wife. But I think a lot of it is also just in the moment of writing or in the moment of performing. 
there's an energy that happens. And if you look at any artist that you're really attracted to, there's something else going on there. You understand? There's an energy happening. And so I feel like that's God. I've been blessed to be doing this for a while now. And that's God. God is creativity and the possibility of what's possible. You're listening to actor and playwright Will Power and Bill Moyer's 2006 Faith and Reason Conversation. How would the people in your world of hip-hop, how would they resonate with the theme in Oedipus of the fact that his father was cursed, he is cursed, he curses his sons, Mm -hmm. and fate is fate, there's nothing to do about it. Would they feel that in the hip-hop world? Absolutely. And I feel like a lot of my friends, a lot of my contemporaries, we wrestle with some of those issues. I think that we try to do the best. Like, Oedipus didn't want to do that. He didn't want to marry his mother and, you know, murder his father. He didn't even know. And then when he found out, remember, he left the other kingdom because he thought he was leaving his parents, but they were really his adoptive parents. So a lot of times, we don't want to do that, but sometimes we make these mistakes anyway, in spite of ourselves. So I feel like it's something that we definitely wrestle with in the community. And I feel like a lot of cultures do wrestle with that, even beyond hip-hop culture. I feel like the whole question of what will we take from our fathers and our mothers, the beautiful things, the essence of the culture, and what will we try to leave behind? And I feel like every generation has to question that and look at that. There's that moment in your play when Oedipus looks up and says, in effect, I'm paraphrasing him, God made me the way I am. It's not my fault, in a way. Right. Well, see, that's the question. Are we destined to just fail? Or do we have the power to break it? And I think that Oedipus, by the end of the play, that's how he feels as a character. He feels like, you know what, there's nothing I could have done. This is it. This is what it is. But after Oedipus says that, the DJ comes out and asks the audience, when are we going to flip the record? When are we going to remix this record? This old record has been playing for thousands of years. This record of war, this record of destruction. When are we going to flip the record? And for me, like I said, it's all about flipping it. You know, like it reminds me of The Wiz, for example. It's a very different piece. The Wiz. Yeah, I mean, it's a different piece, but The Wiz, you know, they took this American classic, The Wizard of Oz, but they flipped it into something at that time that was very current, soul, funk. They made The Wizard of Oz The Wiz, you know. They brought this classic to them. And I think that's a sign of empowerment, really, to take an old story that you're not in and really make it yours. But well, still Aeschylus did that. Euripides did that. Yeah. Homer did that. Yeah. All yeah. of the great classics yeah. were taken from figments and fragments of the past. Right, 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 yeah. But Before I think, time. I think Aeschylus would be turning over in his grave right now if he'd seen your play, don't you? I don't know. I don't know, you know? I mean, I'd like to think... <laughs> I'd like to think that he would dig it, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. But I don't know. You got to remember, you know, these stories are from myths that are, what, three, four, five hundred years older than Aeschylus. So these myths, these stories are not even from Aeschylus's time. They're from older times that he took and flipped for his time. Now, whether his spirit would see the connection or not, I can't say. I think he probably would have been applauding if he could have imagined his characters yeah. in modern guys today. Yeah, I what, don't know. What, how did you get interested in mythology? Well, you know, what is mythology to me? A myth is a story that holds in it the values and the culture and the rhythm and the vibrations of a people. So for me, a lot of my work has been mythological in a sense. Not in terms of like the Western classics, but in terms of my own neighborhood, my own community. There's a whole mythology that has grown up around me in that area. Characters that you see, people who are real life, but there's some stories about them that are true, some stories that aren't. They get blown into fantastical proportions. So I feel like I've always been moved into myth into the heroics, into the largeness of it, you know, into the drama of it. 
And also, not all myths, but a lot of myths are rhythmic. You know, they have rhythms. They're in verse. And I feel like hip-hop is natural to that. Hip-hop is all about rhythms. And yeah, well, the Greek courses were chanted. Exactly. And, you know, it's a trip because... Again, I just think of like hip hop lyrics or song lyrics from R&B or country or anything. If you took away how they sounded, how much would we lose, you know? So I feel like as much of a blessing as it is to have these ancient texts, I'm sure we're not getting the full oomph, you know, of them because they were chanted. They were supposed to be all sung. They were danced. It was supposed to be a real like, I don't say primal, but a real guttural type thing, you know, and I feel like in some ways we over-intellectualize these myths and put them in this category of high art, but really these stories were originally stories that the common people told, right? I mean, Homer, you look at Homer, supposedly we don't even know if Homer could read or write. There's debate about that, but he was an oral poet, that's what we think, in the so-called Greek Dark Ages, and he told these stories, and this was the way that the people kept their history alive. Well, I feel like that's what hip-hop is, it's oral-based, it's based in a community, and these are stories that are told that keep the community alive. Some of these stories are violent. Some of these stories are peaceful. Some of these stories are uplifting. Some of these stories are about this girl that I like. Some of these stories are real deep. Some of the stories are shallow, but they're lyrical stories. They're sonic, lyrical stories. Who was your favorite character in Eskos? I would say Oedipus. I would say Oedipus. Why? I just think it's because it's that whole question of, it's like a man who is trying to do right, but for whatever reason, he can't do it. Now, whether that's because fate is against him or whether because he really could have made better decisions, that's the question. But he's trying to do right. Oedipus, as evil as a cat he is, you know, and as bad as he is, and, you know, he puts his curse on his sons, he does this, as bad as he is, it comes from a place of feeling disrespected. It's like his sons disrespected him. He's like, wait a minute, but I tried. I tried. Don't disrespect me. You know what I mean? And I'm just fascinated by that kind of character. Well, you remind me of when Aeschylus has the chorus at the end say, you don't have to kill each other, you don't have to kill each other, and the sons say, yes, we do, yes, we do. And it is a Greek tragedy, so they wind up killing each other. Right, right, right. And I hope that people will see the production and think of tragedy as a way of like, it was supposed to be a healing process. It was supposed to be a warning, and it was supposed to be used not to depress people or to be like, Everything's going to hell, you know? But it was supposed to be, in a way, an uplifting thing. Say, we are determined to take the challenge of this play and we're going to do better. What's the moment of truth for you in Seven Against Thieves when you really think something breaks through and you appropriate it and take it into your own life? Because it's a tragedy, I think the moment of truth occurs when the brothers lose faith in each other. The older brother loses faith in the younger brother, and the younger brother loses faith in the older brother. Like, he's gonna mess it up, so I need to take care of this myself. Or he's gonna cheat me, he's gonna manipulate me, so I don't trust him. And I feel like, because of the tragedy, that's the moment of truth. And I think, for me, it's a metaphor for the bigger problem of what's going on. We have a lack of faith in our brothers, you know, in our sisters. Whether it means one country to another, we have a lack of faith. And I think that lack of faith is destroying us. That doesn't mean, like, blind hope. That doesn't mean, I'll let you do anything you want to me, but it's like we don't have faith in each other. We have such little trust. And it permeates in the local neighborhood, it permeates in the society, in America, and it permeates throughout the country. So I think that's the moment of truth in the play. Doesn't mean that that has to always be the truth, but that's the moment of truth. When these brothers, they start off with good intentions and they lose faith in each other. Do you see life yourself as a tragedy? No, no, no. In fact, this play was very difficult for me to work on because I feel like I'm a pretty optimistic guy. and Most of my plays are very optimistic and have more happy endings. 
in a way. So I feel like that's why in some ways I was drawn to this because what would it be to put myself within this world of a tragedy? And I even tried to like make it untragic at the end, but it doesn't work. <laughs> I even tried to change it, but... What did you try to do? Well, I tried for a while to see how I could make it that the two brothers wouldn't kill each other at the end. Like, does a DJ come in and stop the record at the end? You know, does Oedipus say, I made a mistake? I tried all those different ways, but the sound designer on the production, Darren West, he said that he feels that some plays have DNA. There's a DNA in the play. And so even though you can change it and you can flip it and you can make the characters vastly different, there's a certain deep intrinsic fabric of the play. And so when you try to deviate too much from it, I don't mean in form or style, but I mean the meat, the content of it, then the play is going to pull you. So every time I tried to do that, it just wasn't honest. These two brothers were going to kill each other in this show. Now, some people might have said, well, you're the playwright. You have all the power in this play. You <laughs> you're should God. Just, yeah, you're God. You should have had the DJ come in or Deus Ex Machina. You should have just brought the machine in and just did it. But it just didn't feel right. And there's nothing worse, I think, than being in the audience and having a play and you're really moved at the end. You're like, oh, that's so corny. You know, but you attracted people to the play who would never have read the original Aeschylus, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's one of the joys of it. That's one of the joys. And that's one reason why I had to try to keep the themes the same, but pull them into a contemporary context. Because I feel, again, remember these ancient plays, they were sung, they were danced. And that's a different way than the way they're presented now within a classroom environment for the most part in a kind of academic setting. And so I think it's really hard for a lot of young people to dig them because they're not presented the way they used to be. And it's kind of a rigid way. So I was really trying to bring them in and have people be like, I know Oedipus, that's a cat in my neighborhood. I know Eteocles, I know Tydeus, I know those characters. And hopefully they'll get the themes. And I definitely got that. I got a lot of young people being, I'm gonna go back and read some of these scripts with a different eye and not be so prejudiced. And I got it from the other side. I got old people, like people in their 70s and 80s being like, I thought I hated hip hop, but, <laughs> but I actually could follow the story. And now I'm gonna go back and maybe pick up a Tupac CD, I, mean, I actually got that, and see what this is really about instead of writing the whole thing off. What inspires you? What inspires me? What's your source of inspiration? Again, my inspiration is the creative spirit, God, and the magic in life, and my ancestors, and my family. And my family includes my wife, my mother, my father, my sisters, and my community. I live in Beacon, New York now, but I'm originally from the Fillmore, which is in San Francisco. And in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, there's such a rich culture there. It's so diverse. Everything from amazingly strong Asian presence, amazingly strong Latino presence. The Black Panthers were started there. There's such an amazing culture there. And since I'm from there, there's so many different stories and things that they inspire me. You know, the Fillmore inspires me. And Beacon inspires me. That's my new home now. So I'm, I get inspiration by everything all over the place. And I try to do a little better. You know, I'm not trying to be perfect. I used to try to be perfect. I say, I'm going to try to be perfect. I'm not, you can't try to be perfect, just try to be a little better. Maybe I won't make as many mistakes as my father made and my mother made. I'm not better than them, maybe I just, I'll make less mistakes and hopefully my children will make less mistakes. And hopefully every generation will just get more and more progressive. Well, Aeschylus is not very optimistic about that. No, he's not. He says we keep repeating the same mistakes. <laughs> no, he's not. But in Seven Against Thebes, in Aeschylus' play, he had the chorus really questioning 
the king, which was one of the brothers, and saying, you don't have to make this mistake, you don't have to do that. And supposedly, that was very revolutionary in Aeschylus's time. Even though the main king still ends up going out and killing his brother and being killed, but supposedly, just the fact that having the chorus question the king like that was very, very, very revolutionary. It was a big risk for Aeschylus to take. So I feel like even though he was a pessimist in the sense of working that genre, that was a very optimistic thing to do in that time. Just to have the chorus be like, you don't have to do this. Don't do it. A lot of the play is devoted towards the chorus really urging the king. You don't have to do it. God won't look down on you. You know, I mean, they go back and forth. Where's our chorus today? Where's our chorus today? It's in me, man. It's in you. It's in the people. It's in the common people, you know, that are telling these stories. I feel like the leaders come and go, but it's the stories that will continue, you know? We're the chorus. Will Power, thank you for being with me. Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Visit BillMoyers.com to learn more about the Faith and Reason series. <laughs>